Tonight's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of the Lord. Here we are, Advent, week three. Advent, of course, meaning the coming or arrival of something important, as in the advent of the Pop-Tart made breakfast time fun, or the advent of the internet has made personal relationships less of a priority. Or maybe the advent of the Segway has made walking optional. Advent. Advent in the liturgical calendar refers to the celebration of the coming of God into the world in Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And like Lent, but less so, it's a time with preparation and expectation, contemplation, In this time now of expectation, this anticipation of the celebration of the birth of Jesus, I'm going to talk about snakes. There are snakes in the Bible. Some well-known, others not as much. They crawl on their bellies through the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. This passage that we heard today, read, 
from Luke in this passage. John the Baptist, right off, calls out to the religious leaders who are coming to be baptized. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And even the Isaiah passage that is often read on this Sunday, it says that a nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they will not be hurt or destroyed on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters that cover the sea. Snakes. I wonder if all these snakes have anything to do with each other. Or if all the snakes in the Bible are kind of up to the same thing. Maybe they carry the same metaphorical meaning. Well, not carry, but, you know, slither, move in the same direction. Snakes, if you look into the Bible, are most often show up to represent deceit. As in the passage read today, in this Luke passage, John calls the religious leaders a brood of vipers to characterize them as deceitful. At first, this seems an odd way to greet people who are coming to be baptized, but he doesn't trust them. He questions their motives. And as to what they have done to make John the Baptist feel this way, the readers of Luke do not yet know. But if you continue on with the story, it becomes a little bit more clear that maybe John's a pretty good character right off the bat. And by calling them a brood of vipers, using the word brood, he's probably calling them the children of the devil. Because when the devil is cast out of heaven, he's called the father of lies, the father, the great snake, and the deceiver of the world. And of course, you know, the most well-known snake in the book is, of course, the snake in the garden. The snake in the grass from Genesis 3 who deceives Eve. The snake says, if you eat that fruit, surely you will not die. The day you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods, knowing good from evil. When God asks Eve why she ate the fruit, she says, the snake deceived me and I ate. Even St. Paul uses the snake as a reference, the snake reference, when he says, both Jews and Greeks are under the power of sin, that there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks after God. All have turned away. They use the tongues to deceive. The venom of the vipers are on their lips, which again is kind of a reference to Psalms. Snakes also, though, not only are just used as symbols of deceitfulness and lies, snakes are also used as symbols of God's justice or vengeance or punishment. Like the weirdest and most interesting snake punishment story is in the book of Numbers. Um, And it says, and the people spake against God. Sorry about the spaking. I just like this translation. And against Moses, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water, and our souls loathe this bread you serve us. And the Lord 
as a result, sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. That's what you get for complaining about dinner. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord. And will you please go to him and tell him to take away the serpents? So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make for yourself a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is bitten by the snakes, when they look upon that pole, they shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon the pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten anyone, when they looked at the serpent of brass, they would come back to life. They would live. Then, maybe you know, if you know your Bible, and I know you do, um, you know this reference is also made by Jesus in the third chapter of John, referring to this whole crazy snake-on-a-stick story. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and a leader asks him um, how he could gain eternal life. And Jesus tells him, in the same way that Moses lifted up the snake on the pole in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus, of course, is referring to his death on the cross. So as Moses lifted up the snake on a pole so that anyone who looked at it would live, like that, Jesus would be lifted up on a cross in his crucifixion, and anyone who looked upon that would live. Now, this is different from other snake as punishment stories here, because this is also a snake as savior story, which you don't find a lot of. Snakes. It's hard to catch these snakes in the Bible. They're going everywhere, different directions. Sometimes they're working for the devil. Sometimes they're working for God. Sometimes they're just things to be afraid of. And sometimes things to marvel at. As in Proverbs, when the poet there says, three things which are too wonderful for me. No, four which I do not know, the way that the eagle is in the air, the way of the snake on the rock, the way of the ship on the sea, and the way of man with a woman. I would not put all those four mysteries together, but in the hunting of snakes in the Bible here, tracking them down, you read a lot of articles. A lot of articles they're by written, written that are very passionately want to set the record straight. They really want to straighten out this misconception that the Bible thinks snakes are bad. Quite a few of these are written by members of what I found is the Christian Herpetologist Society. I don't know who would have guessed that there are, were a lot of biblical scholar snake scientists around, But I guess there are Christians under about every rock. One article took the Genesis account line by line to show that God created the snake and that it was in the garden, so it was extension. By extension, good, because it was in the garden. And maybe it is the devil who deceived the snake. So the snake was not bad. And then he added, by way of his reasoning, that that probably 
meant that not only was the snake not bad, but the woman probably wasn't bad either. Another herpetologist for Christ concludes his article, So does the Bible call snakes evil? No. If you glance through the verses, you will never find any place where snakes are specifically called evil critters. Rather, the snake is used as a symbol for everything from Satan to alcohol, from lying to wisdom, quite a range. Symbolism is used to make it clear, clearer to understand something easier. It does not denote inherent characteristics, it says. For example, the dove is used as a symbol for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but there is nothing particularly holy about a bird. I wonder what the Christian ornithologist would say about that. So this brings me back to the odd snake as God's judgment, snake as man's salvation story. I found another reference to this story in 2 Kings. Now it came to pass, the third year of Hoshis, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Aziz, as king of Judah, began to reign. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all the laws of David his father. He removed all the places to worship foreign gods. He broke all the images. He cut down all the groves dedicated to the foreign gods, and he broke into pieces the brass serpent that Moses had made. For unto that, for all those days, the children of Israel had burnt incense and prayed, calling it the hissing snake. I don't know what I thought happened to that bronze snake that Moses made and that saved everybody from the uh, snake bites and dying in the wilderness? I don't know. I never even thought about it. But I'll tell you what, I did not think that the children of Israel would still be worshiping it 500 years later. But I guess you could see why they would keep it. I mean, it once saved everybody's life if you just looked at it and Moses made it. But 500 years later, worshiping it, I mean, it was obviously, this was not the intent of God in the first place. Otherwise, Hezekiah would not have been praised for destroying it. This instrument of God's life-giving salvation at that time was then turned into an idol worthy of destruction. So then why does John's Jesus use this very same thing as a symbol of God's definitive act of salvation? These snakes move around. They go in different directions. They're hard to catch. All the snakes, all this snake study, it brings me back to these religious leaders in this text and why John didn't trust them, maybe. Why he questioned their motives. I think he knew or he suspected something very basic about what it means to be human, about our human interactions with God. We make religions. God doesn't. 
We make religious rules. We make idols. We are idol worshipers. God acts, meets us at a time or place, and we worship that time and place. Or we take part of our interaction with God, part maybe that we can control, that we can maybe quantify, and we make that God. We worship the things we can control. But maybe God is more like a snake that moves fast and is hard to catch. An idol is something dead, has no life. We worship at the altar of a stagnant pool. No life, filled with dead things. But God is not dead. God is not like that snake stuck on a pole for 500 years. So now what do we look forward to 2,000 years later? What are we looking forward to? What do we anticipate in this coming of the Christ child? What do we celebrate? Is it a dead thing? Stiff plaster or plastic? Or can we find in this something that makes us alive again? That strips from us obligation? That sparks in us something that we desire to pursue? I'm not saying go throw out your Christmas trees. I'm saying just know, or just let's just try and figure out What is dead? What are the dead things that we spend so much time with, that we worship? And what gives us life? Let's find what gives us life and celebrate it. Let's find that life and worship it. Let's look forward to that. Look around. 